Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Greetings. Welcome to the podcast, Father Nathan. Father Michael. Flolo. Flo Max. Olo. You do not Hakeem. want to be, you, you do not want to be called Flomax. No, I don't. I think that's a drug for, <laughs> Thank for, you. for prostate issues. <laughs> At least it sounds like it are for prostate issues. Yep. Or a weird looking arrogant priest. Here we go. What's going down? Anything else that we didn't cover in the last one? No. Just living living the life, living the Lent. Living Lent. My uh, sister gave birth, I was telling you. Oh yeah. Teresa O'Loughlin is now a mother with a baby outside the womb. Little Mara Therese, beautiful name, beautiful girl, has has the O'Loughlin cowlick we were talking about this morning. Oh, wow. So all O'Loughlin's guys and girls have a swirl in the back of the head and a cowlick that goes from the peak of the uh, brow, like, and then kind of up into the back. And obviously I'm losing it. Yeah, I can't really see yours. <laughs> oh, thank you, Father Nathan. <laughs> I, I have lost the cowlick now by <laughs> na, na, for natural reasons, and uh, and but she she sent us a picture because she's up in Bismarck, a folks missionary. But she sent us a picture of little Mara's cowlick, and it was hilarious. How do they know how to pronounce her middle name? I oh, so she said because uh, like same thing with, with Mora, it's Mara. They decided on a Mara instead of Mora or Moira. Because I think all those names are spelled the same way. So they decided so on Mara. M-O-R-M-O-I-R-A? It's M-A-U-R-A. Okay. Mara. Mara. Uh-huh. And then I think it's Therese, but I don't know what they decided. They decided on one pronunciation, but I need to find out what Therese. that is. Therese or Therese. I Therese. think it's Therese. Therese. I all could right. be wrong, but yeah. Therese. Love it. So that's new and exciting. Congrats. Thank you. Congrats. I was telling him I saw the other... The other babe the yes. other day, um, I almost sprinted out of the church before <laughs> I realized, actually, they, she's right there. So yeah. it was little, perfect. Little Bella O'Loughlin. Yep. Beautiful girl, as the name implies. Beautiful girls all over the world. Anyways. Okay. Can we get sued for singing songs? <laughs> I hope not. I hope not, because, you know, like, I got I got plenty up there. Yeah. So. I was actually thinking after your St. Mary of Egypt podge- podcast, because yes. um, I got in trouble with the Missionaries of Charity, because um, I was one of the only people that's ever served with the Missionaries of Charity and gone back to the seminary and gotten a negative evaluation. Oh, from the Missionaries of Charity. <laughs> yeah. And it said, Father Nathan sings very many worldly songs. <laughs> Because I'd be like mopping the floor, just being like, Teddy Pendergrass to Maxwell, shut your mouth, girl, talking about, and I thought the sisters were already gone, but then they were right behind me, and I was like, sorry. That's hilarious. But I made up that song. But did I ever tell you that story? So then I asked one of the other sisters, um, she's no longer, she's no longer a missionary to charity, she's discerned out. But she, uh, I asked her because she was from she was from Canada, and she grew up, you know, like same age. We were about the same age, and I said, "Sister, how do you, what do you do? Like you've you've you used to listen to music, and now you're a missionary of charity. Like how do you how do you deal with that?" Right. She gets this like sheepish look on her face, and she goes, um, "Do you know?" Because they all they all like have like the same tonality, okay. like you know, nuns, <laughs> sisters, whatever. Nun voice. Do you know? Brian Adams. 
And I said, yeah, sister, I know Brian Adams. And she goes, sometimes I'll be doing the dishes and I'll sing to myself, everything I do, I do for you, Jesus. <laughs> you just add Jesus to every Brian Adams song. <laughs> becomes very monastic i was just like i was like okay i mean that one works but you know like um you know cisco and he sings this song about you know like tongs you know let me see that tong we have to flip the chicken you know it's just like i can't i'm not gonna be able to do this so oh, anywho hilarious. all right uh, anything else? Anything else? Uh, no, we should move on. The general banter is reached. You know, we're on E. Yeah. Um, so speaking of the missionaries of charity, uh, that's a great lead in. Um, I have been blessed in the last few months uh, to spend some more time with the sick and suffering coworkers, which are a lay MC branch. Hmm. Um, so they are um, people who are in relationship with the missionaries of charity, um, and um, and they meet uh, once a month to kind of pray together, and then um, and then we do like a little talk. I do. I I told them I was very upfront with them. I was like, I think this is great. I have absolutely no idea what you do, hmm. um, so I'm happy to to help you in any way. But um, I need to do some research on the sick and suffering coworkers. So I look forward to one of the podcasts uh, that I will be doing yeah. in the future. I'm, I'm slowly amassing more books, but this time it's actually for a purpose. So uh, I might actually get around to reading them, um, but, um, but we'll do that in the future. But I wanted to share with you one of the, the talks um, that I gave to them. Um, particularly because I, I thought it fit so well, but then, you know, usually as it happens, like you do something really awesome in one area, it's like, Hey, this would go well on the podcast, you know? So don't think of this as leftovers. Just think of it as like, I made, I had a really good recipe, turned out well, and now I'm making it again. And the Holy Spirit wants you to share your newfound knowledge with the world. Mm. Lukewarm, constant (laughs) comment tea. Welcome to Lent. So, um, um, a brosif by the name of Joe Stanek purchased for me for my ordination a book by one Hansers von Balthasar um, on Christian meditation. And, um, and I was like, mm, I don't know when I'm going to get to this because I have a ton of Balthasar books, but it was a gift from a person which usually has more significance, right. at least for me. So, um, when you know you get to that place where it's like, what am I going to read? And you're like looking at your bookshelf. You have like hundreds of books or maybe you don't, but I do. do. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, I'll read a Balthazar book. Which one's the smallest? (laughs) So um, exactly. So it's only about what? 98 pages, Uh, 98 pages and, you know, Ignatius press. So, you know, fairly reasonable. And I found it to be one of the most accessible uh, Balthazar books. Hmm. Not only the fact because it's small, but um, anyone who has done um, Ignatian retreats, anyone who's done any kind of uh, long retreat, very few people have done like the long, long retreat, the 30-day silent retreat, but many people have done an eight-day or maybe a five-day kind of going through the Ignatian meditations. And he's kind of um, helping us, helping his readers see prayer in light of a very Ignatian structure. 
So that's just a, a plug for that. So the first thing is uh, to kind of get down what he's talking about in terms of meditation. And then once we've once we get the definition of meditation, then what it, what really struck me was this image. And we're going to kind of talk about that image and then some practical applications and then pull the ripcord and get on out of here. Cool. Sound good? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So the first thing is um, one of the tricks that I learned from Mortimer Adler, um, uh, who is um, uh, he wrote How to Read a Book mm. and I didn't finish it. Um <laughs> So he needs to know how to finish a book. Kind of, yeah. He should have. He should have started with that. Um, but uh, one of the great insights that he had was: anytime an author defines a word, it's really helpful to you know put that in kind of the the back of the book because it forms kind of a glossary hmm. that many times they don't do because they're just you know. But they're using a word in a particular way. So right. I thought his definition of meditation was very helpful. So Balthazar describes meditation as a loving reflective, obedient contemplation of him who is God's self-expression. A loving, reflective, obedient contemplation of him who is God's self-expression. And I thought that was so great because many times when I approach Bible study or Bible meditation, I'm meditating on the words. Right. And his, you know, definition Mm -hmm. by its nature is you're gazing at a person. Yeah. You're, You're meditating... And sometimes when we meditate, we're meditating just on kind of a phrase or um, kind of an image, but not like the image of God, who is Christ. Hmm. And uh, once that becomes clear to us, revelation that we've kind of come to know as kind of sacred scripture or tradition um, becomes something much greater, which is God wanted to express himself and he sent his son. Hmm. And it's not just everything that his son said that we wrote down, but also his very actions. Like Father Michael was showing me pictures of Mara, and he's like, just scroll left. And I scroll left, and then like there's this image of <laughs> Jesus like looking like he's making jungle juice on his phone. And I'm like, what is this? And he's like, oh, it's the wedding at Cana. And I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so we're, we're meditating on, on Christ's actions um, and his words, but really we're meditating on the face of Christ. And you can probably speak better to that in terms of iconography. Sure. Yeah. The one, one thing I was struck by with what you said was that oftentimes when I'm, especially now as a priest, since I'm almost always reading the Bible in order to preach on it or to Bible. teach on it, the Bible is I'm, I'm kind of reading it for selfish reasons. Like how, how can I, yeah. it, it can become that of course, teaching's not selfish, but it can become <coughs> You read it for utilitarian reasons, like what can I do with this word in order to to share it, in order to give it, and that's not a bad thing. But but there is that there is we would never do that at least purposefully or or confidently with another human being. And if we're reading the Word of God in order to engage with the person of Jesus Christ, who who is revealed as Balthazar says, that then it is it is much more of a a quote, worthless, like non-utilitarian reasons, which is, of course, according to Chesterton, is is the most beautiful way where we're building this relationship. And when you have the the written word of God, it can be similar to the what we call the written iconography. So in other words, you have an image of God and um, most Eastern Christians would call you uh, 
someone who makes icons, the, the, the writer of the icon rather than the painter of the icon, because there's a there's a story there, there's a theology there, there's a word there. The word of God is Jesus Christ. So if we, if we, you know, that was even a good idea. Imagine have an icon of of Jesus Christ himself, the face of God with you as you're reading the scriptures so that you can use the icon, which is the window into heaven, as a, a further engagement with the person that you are encountering through the Holy Word of God through the scriptures as well. And even when you're talking with somebody else, they're talking and telling you about themselves. Yeah. But the words themselves are descriptors of their own self, which is actually present before you. Yeah. You know, and yeah. so it's not just, oh, I have to think about that. Um, it's also, I need to think about you. Right. Like I have a I have a concern for you. Right. So the image that Balthazar uses in in describing this, which it was one of thank you, Loon. I don't think you need to censor <laughs> it. Yes, Loon. Loon is a Balthazarian. That's his amen. Thank you. Oh yeah. Glory forever. Um one of you know, Balthazar has many images and you know, sometimes they're pulled from literature, sometimes they're pulled from music, sometimes they're completely like beyond me, and I'm just like mm. pass. This one is kind of like preschool Balthazar, so I was like, I get it. I'm with you. Um, And he says this, uh, kind of echoing what you said, we cannot meditate on the Lord who is present as though he were an object or an idea, but only as the one who is the Father's gift to us and therefore challenges us. And then he comes into this image. The mission that Christ received from the Father and of his life flowing from the Father and oriented to him. The spoken word is like the point of a triangle on the ground that opens outward into the infinite. The spoken word is like the point of a triangle Mm. on the ground that opens out upward into the infinite. Mm. I thought this was really helpful because we see Christ in a particular moment in time with particular persons uh, particular dramas, particular people that like, you know, come and find him. He's got followers. He's got, you know, people that fall away, people that are listening, people that betray him. He's actually come in time, but it's not just, I came in time and then, you know, I'm a historical figure. He is God. So he is in some ways never limited by history. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's open outward <laughs> to the infinite, and he's pointing us, he's kind of opening for us, I don't know what the mathematical term here would be, but I think it has something to do with vectors. Hmm. I I don't know either. I sound like an idiot. Rays Um, shining out from the Yeah, like, I mean, like, when when his existence is a fixed point, um, it's not just a fixed point linearly, but even more so into another dimension, he's angling us outward and upward and even like horizontally to one another, but opening us to the full horizon that is himself, but even more so into the Father. Yeah. And into the the beauty of of the Trinity. Okay. So then he doesn't use this image again for like um fifty pages. So, you know, just kind of mm-hmm. lost him for a while. But then he goes back to it. Da-na-na-na-na. Um, and he says In this characteristic of Christian revelation is revealed not only the fact that God is greater than whatever fits within the limits of formed words or deeds, the apex of the triangle that is on the ground is opened up into the infinite, he's reminding us, Mm -hmm. you know, but also that the church to whom God's word is first directed can never be regarded as a form 
closed in on itself and sufficient to itself. God's partner and interlocutor is the world to which the church is sent at Christ's command. She essentially surpasses herself. She is God's instrument for the whole of his human creation. I love this because we see Christ and we say, I want to know more about him and get to know who he is and, and what his what the the full impact of his life, death, and resurrection, his ascension, all these kind of theological pieces, but he's also espoused for himself a church of which I am a part, and therefore I have an ability now to be the same point of existence for the world in a way that Christ was, because a Christian is another Christ, and having received baptism and being made a partaker of uh, the mystery that is God, I now become opened to the infinite. Like I was uh, uh, actually doing Mike Humbo's baptism uh, for his kid. And, um, and the, and this was the precise point is that this child is now opened to infinite, yeah. like the infinity and not just the infinity, like, you know, there's all these numbers out there or planets out there or whatever else, but like everything that is God. Yeah, it's beyond space and time. It's yeah. It's not only full of it, it's beyond it, yeah. And the fact that I could be closed in on myself, like I could just be a single fixed point in history, kind of marching through this ego, this, you know, you kind of see this many times in like, you know, obituaries, yeah. where it's like they lived, they did all these things, and then they died. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. And it's like, if that's it, then you're just like this little piece of this linear line yeah. instead of being now like opened up into the into the divine mystery. Yeah. Why wouldn't you want that? Yeah. I, I find a lot of people when I'm doing like um, you know, holy unction, last rites, things like that, a lot of people will will sit there and the, their their memory and what they remember and what they what they find worthy of conversation when they're nearing death is just their life as a business person. And like usually it's the most successful business people that, that that's all they talk about. And it's like, it's really hard for me to, to find that as a, like take, take what they know, take what they love. And in other words, business and use that as a starting point to open it up in infinite. It's hard with, because I don't know business, you know? So it's harder to do that. Um, it, it reminds me also of, of, you know, secular humanists and atheists. Like, you know, um, one of my directees, Bridget Ames, shout out. Um, she wrote, yeah. wrote her thesis from Wyoming Catholic on, uh, um, anyway, one of the quotes that she said was that, you know, atheists and secular humanists, they believe that everything that exists is perceivable by the five senses, like everything yeah, that yeah. exists. And you have to say that. So in other words, when someone yells at a Christian or says, prove it, you're like, you're, you're limiting yourself to the two dimensions of, of the six senses. In other words, there, there's a whole nother realm that is beyond the six senses. So that's why Christians should love science. In other words, what we're dealing with, with the creation of God, but we're dealing with what is perceivable by the five senses and we have to keep it in that realm. But, but what is perceivable by the five senses should then be a, a springboard and a starting point into the infinite. So mm-hmm. it's like, you can say, if someone says, well, prove, prove your faith, prove that there's a God, you're like, that word doesn't make any sense to the world of God because there is more 
that is reality. There is more that is created. There is more that exists that is beyond the just our five senses. And those that have the sense of faith, that have faith, can perceive those worlds, but it's not something that's provable because proving something, quote, proving it, is only something that we can use the five senses for. So there, there's, in a sense, saying secular humanists and atheists, secular humanists are saying, I'm just going to stay in that one point, in the point in time, yeah, rather than, than it being broken open to this much, much bigger reality of the world of, of faith beyond the five senses, beyond science. We love science, but it go, we always need to go beyond that too. And even like, even just stepping back from creation, because people kind of get to this point where it's just like, there was a point where there was nothing. Right. Right? I mean, like, they'll say like, you know, there was a big bang. What was happening before the right. big bang? You know, like- It makes no even scientific sense, yeah. Yeah, and so then, like, we've already had kind of an intersection from- beyond into our reality we have created reality but then there is this whole other that is uncreated reality right and that is god right so then from uncreated reality comes created reality but then in a particular moment in time created reality receives a how do i say this an uncreated created reality Mm -hmm. namely Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, assuming humanity and taking flesh, not, it's very strange because it's, his human soul began in his mother's womb, right? but his, due to like all the things that we have to say due to, you know, like our, you know, uh, love of tradition and whatever else, because of this thing called the hypostatic union, he's able to be simultaneously God and man without his humanity informing his divinity so that now all of a sudden you say, well, now God receives something he didn't have. Right. You know? Well, no, he always, he has every perfection. Right. But in a particular moment in time, now all of a sudden you have uncreated reality taking on, uh, I mean, entering into created reality. And this is like dialogical. Like this is... This is communal. This is um, a, a true communication. Like God is communicating with us. We want to know, like, are there extraterrestrials out there? Are there other? Per- there is. There's God. Right. He's already come. Right. And He's spoken to us. And then, um, but then also He's done things. You know, not just like you know all the things that He said, but all the things He's done. In particular, that's what we're meditating on. Right. You know, the this this definition, you know, this loving contemplative gaze on him who is well, let me look at my definition. <laughs> who is God's self expression. Yeah. <clears throat> so okay, so then once uh once we kind of see this, you know, inverted triangle, okay, um, he says this later on. When in meditation a Christian finds the mystery of God's fullness in his inner divine self-giving manifested in Jesus Christ in his Eucharist and his church, the Christian too will not find it difficult to find this fullness again in the world so apparently empty of God. Hmm. Everyone is looking for God, but we have a responsibility as uh, partakers in the divine nature to make present to people uh, this God who is invisible, yeah. you know? Like, I was just telling somebody the other day, like, you know, First John, how can you say you love God and hate your neighbor? Right. 
And we are called to actually love and serve our neighbor in part to, to open them up to the reality that is, I'm not, I'm not wholly sufficient. I'm not perfect. I've actually been broken open so that I'm capable of experiencing communion with God and communion with you, but you're actually capable of that too. Right. You're made in the image and likeness of God, but perhaps so much of your life is spent just focused on your own kind of fixed point, whatever that may be, you know, whatever your address is, whatever your IP address is, whatever your um, job is, et cetera. Um, no, you're actually, you've been broken open too and made capable of a relationality that is much greater than anything you'll find on Instagram or, yeah. or Facebook. Thoughts? Yeah, there, there's the the devil works in that because there's a sense of when I mean I I think we see it as priests when when God uses us to preach His word or to to do something where where people are supposed to miss us they're supposed to not see us as anything but an instrument of God's word and and when the devil works in that especially with people with really kind of rough backgrounds and rough upraisings when they're <coughs> Some people are looking for a relationship and that they they see the human being. They see the priest as the one who brought them this insight. And so they, they kind of have this experience of the transcendent God, but the, but they're putting the experience instead of focusing on Christ and who, who they should be continuing their relationship with, they can focus on the person who shared Christ with them. You know, the, the, we talk about attachments and things like this. Um, and we do the same thing. I mean, all of us do it. We, we, we might become obsessed with, oh, this speaker or this, this podcast, you know, whatever it might be and say, oh, this is where I'm getting my inspiration. But we, all of us who preach Christ and who want to share him should be desirous that the people who hear us are, are turning to Christ then. They don't need, sometimes they don't even need us anymore. We're, we're that little point where they heard the word and then they can go into their relationship with Christ on their own. And yet sometimes we desire because we get attached to the people that are now experiencing Christ. We don't want them to experience Christ apart from us. And sometimes they grow attached to us. Oh, you know, I don't want to grow in Christ apart from this person who who initially proclaimed the word. And I like that image of the triangle kind of vertically with the point sitting on the ground so yeah. that we can say, this is where, this is a point of engagement, but to continue the engagement with Christ, I need to move into the world of the transcendent, where Christ condescends to meet me and where I ascend to meet him and, and the experience of the man, Jesus Christ, rather than just worrying about the particulars that got me to him. And the part about that is, um, it's not just God is kind of forming these vertical um, points back up to himself and just we're supposed to attach people into God and just keep keep moving on. No, actually, Christ is somehow um, creating, like, I just imagine it like a spirograph. Mm. You ever use a spirograph? Yeah. You know, like, he's creating these kind of webs of relationships wherein it's no longer just like me and Jesus. Right. It was never intended to be that way. Right. Like Christ forms a dialogical relationship with his church. And then from his church, like all of us are kind of expanded out into one another. And so the the issue at play is um, how do I balance that tension in, and what he's talking about particularly is meditation, prayer. How do I balance that, um, that how do I make that balance between my own needs and my own desire for God, and actually the world's desire for God. Right. And what he's saying, too, is that we actually 
are given the capacity to have a universal concern and like mm. to really pray for the entire world. Right. Because we've been opened up to God and God allows us at being kind of members of this human family to pray on behalf of every single person and not just, well, I can only really pray for myself. It's just, you know, I know that I'm saved and you need to figure out if yeah. you're saved. Yeah. It's not the point. Yeah. Yeah, and, and for us who are in the church to realize that the church is the place where people can come to meet and that the, the church can be that point where people then can be springboarded to a, a, a relationship, a greater relationship with Christ himself and a greater relationship with his church, which is his body, which is the people, and then how they need both of those, the, the personal relationship with Jesus Christ and also the personal relationship with his church and the other people who make up that body. And many times what, and this is really where it goes into like what, what is helpful with the sick and suffering coworkers. And I think really uh, apropos for our, for our, the people that we're kind of ministering to through this podcast and even for ourselves is that, um, okay, Christ has opened me up. He's opened me up to all these good things. And um, I have kind of a responsibility to do, you know, some good for my neighbor, you know? Um, So I want to do all of these things. But Christ isn't just looking for kind of drones to carry out his will. He's looking for someone to enter into communion with. Yeah. And many times we look at ourselves, and I know I do this, and I look at all of the good things that I can offer Christ. I'm, I'm, I'm funny, and somehow that can serve you in your kingdom. Amen. I have some kind of intelligence that I can somewhat train to, you know, help others, you know, come to know you better. Mm-hmm. Um, I can, you know, like lift boxes. So, you know, I should go to a soup kitchen or whatever. But um, do I offer my entire existence, yeah. the totality of my point, not just like whatever's floating to the surface that looks really good and kind of Jesus can kind of skim off the top. I just want your money. I just want your money. I want your, I don't know, your, your, your talents. And I want... I don't know, your uh, your body to suffer for 40 days and then you can go back to doing whatever you want. Right. You know? Right. And this is what this is what Balthazar says about this, which it's so funny. You can remember certain places where you were, where you read these lines, yeah. and it's like, I will never be the same again, which stinks because, you know, I'd rather not go with this. So this is a long one, so so stick with me. Again, I'm writing, you know, in the, in the margins, like of a uh, triangle, because I'm like, he's talking about the triangle again. <laughs> Realizing this, the one meditating in surrendering to the Lord will simultaneously offer himself in personal, total dedication to the world. I gave my life to Jesus Christ, you know, at a summer camp in 19, you know, I almost said 50, but, you know, it was like 98. Um, But I was also baptized, so, you know, that too. But this is the paragraph. The final meditation of the spiritual exercises opens the contemplations of Jesus's life out onto a meditation on the cosmic dimensions of the divine plan for the world and places itself anew at God's disposal for carrying out this plan. Besides the offering, sushi pay domine, take, O Lord, and receive, which uh, I'm going to read that prayer next. Um, there is that other word. Well, I guess I should do it now. So what he's referencing is there's this Ignatian prayer which many of you have heard before, but it bears repeating. Um, do you know it by memory? I don't. Okay, here we go. Um, receive, O Lord, all my liberty. Take my memory, my understanding, and my entire will. 
Whatever I have or possess, thou hast bestowed upon me, I give it all back to thee, and surrender it wholly to be governed by thy will. Give me love for thee alone along with thy grace, and I am rich enough, and ask for nothing more. The, the more classic way of saying that is, give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Hmm. It's beautiful. Yeah. And in that, I mean, I wanted that personally to be, you know, sung at my ordination, yeah. um, at my first mass. I, it really expresses the, the beauty of one who wants to give themselves totally to Christ. And people sing this at their weddings too. It, it's, really, it's really a beautiful prayer. Yeah. But what do you do with all of the gunk that's at the bottom of my existence, my pain, my my physical suffering, my uh, my suffering in my sin, my addictions, my guilty pleasures, my um, my secrets, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I don't know if I'm missing anyone. And he says this: there is that other word, um, which he's taking off of the take, Lord. Um, Despoil and consume even what I perhaps do not dare to offer. Whatever in my individual existence does not want to submit to your universal plan. In becoming aware of the extent of the divine self-giving, the individual who meditates is catapulted out of his would-be closed personal being, not into a destruction of his personhood, but into its fulfillment. The creature's attainable approximation to the unalloyed being for others within the divine Trinitarian mystery. What? (laughs) Effectively, what he's saying is, once you give yourself, you give everything of yourself. And the way in which God wants to use that in the fulfillment of this prayer, take Lord and receive it and apply it however you wish. And even my sins... Even my failures, Lord, I give everything to you so that you can actually decide how best this will serve you. Because you know. And it's not just for my salvation. It's actually for the salvation of others. And for my being is now for others. And that's really... I mean, we're we're talking about a lot a lot of this in you know our own you know companions' life. Right. And it's like my life is not my own. Yeah. And I really need my brothers to 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 like take my life from me. Yeah. And also like I have a reciprocal responsibility to take their life from them mm-hmm. and really say like I'm going to guard this. I'm going to 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 uh fill it out. I'm going to make sure that this grows into the full spectrum of uh the person that God has created me to be, which many times in my own limitedness, I kind of have an idea, okay, this is how you're going to use me, God. And you're going to take these things, and then the rest is just, you know, like, you know, spare parts. Yeah. Um, but you actually want everything. Yeah. And you're going to use it in whatever way you see fit. Yeah, because he gave everything. Christ is incapable of only giving parts. He can only give himself completely. And so as we imitate that and participate in that, all of a sudden we become the same way. But we need the other whom we want to love and serve. We, we, we need the other to sometimes even define for us. Like, like what, what does it look like for me to empty myself completely for you? Yeah. What, what does it look like for me to, to love you with, with, with a 
I, I don't even mind that word with it, with complete self-destruction that then is life giving. And then mm-hmm. it's, so it's not destruction. I grow, you grow, you know, with spouses, you know, every night get home and ask your spouse, you know, how can I love you better? How can I empty myself completely for you? You deserve everything of me and I deserve everything of you. And how is that being lived out in our daily lives? I cannot, I cannot come to the answer myself. I need your input. Yeah. I need your accountability. I need your input. I, I I need you to say, here's how I'm not receiving all of you, and here's what that might look like. And then I can come back and then further define what that is. And through a lifelong relationship, we get better and better and better at it by by the input of of what that self-gift and what that self-receiving looks like. And the, the, the word in that really, for me at least, was despoil and consume even what I perhaps do not yeah. dare to offer. Whatever in my individual existence does not want to submit to your universal plan. I mean, we have an idea of this is how I'm going to serve God, and this is how I'm going to be generous. And God will never be satisfied with the the little offering that we place for him. He's going to say, like, give me everything, and I'll tell you what you get back. And at least for me, like, I was so afraid of loneliness and so afraid that God was going to take all these things from me. Hmm. And I'm still afraid of that. Yeah. I'm still constantly afraid that it's like uh, I live, you know, miles, hundreds of miles away from my family. Um, I don't have any, like, you know, um, of the things that I kind of thought my life was going to consist of. And yet there's a joy in that because I've been totally surprised. Yeah. Totally surprised that it's like God brings people into my life that are actually much greater than anything I ever would have encountered if I would have never set out on the journey of following the Lord. Yeah, And that's infuriating because even once you're like, this is it, this is it, I don't need to go any further. I'm a priest now, maybe you're married now, maybe you're like, you know, we've got four kids already, like my life is perfect. Maybe, but you don't know. Yeah. You don't know until you like really place yourself wholly in God's hands and say like take everything. Yeah. Like completely despoil every like rob me yeah. of everything and then from there like you're going to tell me like what this means. Yeah. There's a family at our parish, they have, you know, beautiful children and they just adopted a kid from China mm-hmm. and this kid is a riot. He can't sit still at all. And he'll just scream at me during my homilies. And I'm just laughing on the inside because I'm like, your existence, your existence was always in God's kind of providence. And for some reason, God has brought you into this place and your life will never be the same. And your family's life will never be the same. And they're, they, it would, it would never, their family would, would have been closed and kind of said, no, actually, we have enough. Yeah. Like, we we kind of have an idea. Like, it was so beautiful. I asked my brother, I was like, have you ever thought about getting a dog? And he's like, I have enough trouble feeding my kids, you know? Right. And then they had another kid. And I'm just <laughs> like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. Yeah. You know? So. We really need to, the word that comes to mind is, is the word of surrender. It's like. Oftentimes we think we've surrendered enough and all of a sudden we go, now I've received the reward of my surrender. Now I see the peace and the joy that comes into surrender. And then Christ is like, you're not even close. I like continue to surrender and I will give you even more joy, more contentment, more cross, you know, more struggles. But, but in those, you will find a joy that you never thought possible, a contentment, a rest that you never thought possible in, in what my will is 
ever increasing, getting more radical and dynamic as every day goes by. Yeah. And just just like with the sick and suffering coworkers, in part what they're doing is they're offering their suffering, they're offering their pain hmm. for the sake of the mission of the missionaries of charity. Yeah. And maybe those are things that we just don't consider offering. Maybe our, you know, dependence, our our dependence upon sensual pleasures or our phone or um, this podcast um, on being right or getting a laugh out of people. Maybe those are things that we can also offer and just say, Lord, in your great plan, you know how this is best going to serve your church. Yeah. And I don't need to see how every single little thing that I offer comes to fruition. I'm just generating life through my own participation in this mystery of reconciling the world back to you. But I have a duty in that. Yeah. You know, it's Jesus's primary responsibility, but he's also said, like, uh, if you don't do this for your brothers, if you don't do this for the sake of the church, like, you're not worthy of me. Yeah. Because you don't actually want to work with me. You want to just sit there and just say, like, you know, I'm hungry, feed me, you know, like, you know, make a sandwich for me or whatever else. Um, give me all these good things, but I'm not really willing to 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 collaborate with you and even to suffer with you and for you. And, and for me, like that was really a helpful precursor to my Lent, which as we shared in the last podcast and even between the podcasts, it's like you open yourself up and you kind of say to God, I give you freedom. He's going to freaking take it. And he's going to do whatever he wants with it because he's God. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's going to really stink. Yeah. Sometimes you're going to be like, wish I wouldn't have made that prayer. You know, like if you've ever if you've ever been stupid enough to make the prayer, um, Lord, help me to share your gospel with one person today. Mm. God will always take you up on that. Yeah. And it's so frustrating because <laughs> it's like somebody on the bus, somebody in the line, you know, and I just I don't want to do it. Yeah. I would rather be my self-enclosed existent. And just say, Jesus, keep shining your love on me and somehow shine your love on these other people. But I'm not really responsible for yeah. them. You know, and they don't really need to hear it from me. Yeah. They listen to Joel Olstein. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a good point about uh, why we do an examination of consciousness in the night, too, because a true examine is not only about what ways have I failed, but what ways, where should I find the joy? Because yeah. I, I should look back and I say, that was a very frustrating experience on the bus, but I know I was doing the right thing. Therefore, I know. I should find the joy in this. And that examination of conscience can actually then force me to find the joy that was just poured into my heart in that moment of frustration. And then the the fulfillment in doing the will of God that should bring the joy that was poured in. But we need to kind of force ourselves to recall that and to, to be sensitive and receptive to that joy when it's presented to us. Beautiful. Good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, like... I, I don't I don't know if there's like a take home from this, but it's like it's almost like warning. Like do not if you're not serious, like don't even try it. But if you are serious and you want to give it a shot, uh let us know what yeah. happens. Yeah. Uh, again, that's that's really that's really where vocations are formed. Not just like, you know, Christian vocations like uh priest, nun, you know, uh monk, whatever. Um, but married vocations too. Like if you really like open yourself up to a deeper love um, then God is going to call your call your bluff or your spouses because um, we're actually really needy for love. Yeah. And so is Jesus. And so, anyways, that's it. Amen. Hans says, thank you, Joe Stanek. Good podcast. Stanek. All right. 
Final shout out, shout at least for me. This okay. is a long one. Okay. Um, the reason why this took so long to get it to you, uh, girls, is because um, I just got my Christmas cards out uh, at presentation, which is technically the end of the Christmas season. Right. Um, but we didn't record since the presentation. Yeah. We, we True. Uh, so Father Michael and I have been missing each other. Um, so I'm finally getting out my last Christmas shout out. So drudge up some like you know joyful memories from christmas merry christmas from the dobby girls this gift is something a family at our parish designed assembles and sells steve and jerry i think it's jerry maybe it's jenny uh moss deserve a shout out for spreading the faith one brick at a time our parents won this hard to get item at the nativity county fair our three-day church festival at nativity of our lord St. Paul, if you're ever in St. Paul, the third weekend of September. We would love to take you to the Gravitron, which I've ridden before and is awesome. Um, it's really fun to like um, like spit things out of your mouth and see who else it goes back on. Um, FYI. Our parents will buy you a beer and an awesome pork sandwich after your stomachs have recovered. Have a blessed Christmas and keep up the good work. Love. Oh, look. Love, Mora. Mora, that's that. Yeah. Same spelling. Exactly. Same pronunciation Mora. even. Yeah. yeah. Mora, Eileen, Margaret, Kathleen. Actually, I'm sorry, mine is Mara. <sighs> I just ruined the shout out. <laughs> I have to start over. Dear oh. <laughs> Mora, Eileen, Margaret, Kathleen, Mary Grace, and Josephine. Oh, there's a lot of Eans in there. They wanted to have a rhyming one. And our mom taught us how to play Euchre, and we're pretty sure we could beat you. Dream on. And what they got me was... <laughs> Father Leopold celebrates mass. Lego set. Lego set. Nice. So uh, I'm going to, uh, in my spare time over Lent, eventually just construct this. Actually, I might give it to one of our um, uh, second graders so that they can do it. I think nice. they'd love it. Yeah. But once it's completely done, I will hang it in the um, podcast studio. Very so cool. thank you. I like it. Actually, it doesn't look like Father Leopold. It looks like Father Michael because it's bald. <laughs> Had a beard. So thank you, Dobbies. Thank you, Dobby. Amen. And before I get to mine, is it a bad thing that the screen just turned black on the podcast computer? Master! Master must fix the computer from the Dobbies! Okay, so I'm gonna do uh, I'm gonna do my shout-outs while he tries to fix the computer. Hopefully we've been recording this whole time. Alright, a shout-out to my kids who listen to your show with me, Ezekiel, Ruth, Olivia, Evelyn, and Maximilian from Joseph and Anna Morris. Shout out to the kiddos. Thanks for listening, guys. Um, a shout out to All Saints Church, Manassas, Virginia, from Joe Gregory. Shout out to Virginia. Denver still has a better youth group than young adult community in Virginia does. There's a big competition between D.C. area and Denver about who has the best young adult community. Dream on. Denver always. All right. To uh, Christopher Radlich, something like that, R-A-D-L-I-C-Z, getting his master's from Columbia in human nutrition and lives in Fort Hall. Fort Hall. Hall. 15 Catholic grad students living in community. Amen. That's awesome. From his parents. Uh, cheers to my wonderful bride, Katie, who continues to be patient and forgiving with me. And to the Cure family from Kevin Plankenton. Is that the same Cures that we know? Plankenton. Is that Maggie's family? Anyway. I don't know. Who knows? All right. And finally, a shout out for Andrew Gawasak, something like that. G-O-W-A-S-A-C-K in Atlanta, who introduced me to your podcast from Zach Jansen in Omaha. FYI, it's really helpful if you 
if you include a phonetic yes. um, pronunciation of last names, especially if they're, you know, kind of off. And first name sometimes. And first name sometimes. Thank you, Michelle. <laughs> all right. We're Thanks, good. all. Good podcast, Father Nathan. Amen. High five. All right. Uh, Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook. Support us on iTunes. Pray for us. We'll pray for you. Amen. Laters.